Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. This week we're discussing Poland, where a new Conservative government led by the Law and Justice Party is in power and has taken decisions about the courts and the media that are causing concern across Europe. Indeed, the European Commission in Brussels has just announced that it will open an investigation into the rule of law in Poland. Joining me on the line from Warsaw is our correspondent there, Henry Foy, and here in the studio is our East Europe editor, Neil Buckley. Henry, let's go back a little in time. What have the Law and Justice Party and the new government done that is causing concern? If you could just summarise the measures. Sure. Well, Gideon, essentially ever since they've come to power, which was in early November, Law and Justice have moved swiftly and in some cases very aggressively to take control of parts of the government apparatus, the state apparatus that they don't control through the parliament. So Firstly, they moved very quickly to install their trusted political allies into certain state agencies, such as the special services, secret services, or companies owned by the government. Then secondly, they moved on the highest court in Poland, the Constitutional Tribunal. Now, this is a court that rules on whether or not legislation passed by parliament is in line with the constitution. Now, the Law and Justice Party don't have a constitutional majority in parliament, and so this would have been a challenge to them, this court that could have struck down new legislation. And what they did is they tweaked the way that that court works, they changed the way that it needed to find a majority. And they also made sure that they put more of their judges on the court, which essentially means it will struggle to dismiss any legislation that the Law and Justice Party aren't in favour of. And thirdly, which is the one that's really caused the most consternation, I think, outside of Poland, is this law that was passed over Christmas, which dismissed all the executives and the management of the state-run the public media company, that's the large TV company, the most popular in Poland, and the Polish radio company, and allowed Parliament to choose their success. So essentially, it made these state media agencies accountable to Parliament. And Neil, what's been the reaction in Brussels and how effectively do you think they can respond to this? Well, the reaction from Brussels and indeed from other European capitals, particularly West European capitals, has been of great concern because this follows rather similar things that we saw happening in Hungary since 2010. Indeed, there are fairly striking parallels between what law and justice have done in office in the last few months and what has been happening in Hungary with the Fidesz party of Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Now, when it was just Hungary, a country of 10 million people, that was important enough. But when you have Poland, which is the real heavyweight of the new EU members, the members that joined from the former communist bloc since 2004, and Poland, a country of 38 million, strong economy, uh, really a model of reform and the success of reforms previously, that means you have quite a, a substantial part of former communist Eastern Europe, which is going over to these kind of methods. And there's been a very sharp deterioration in relations between Poland and Germany, which is you know, a key relationship within the EU, with senior German politicians complaining about what's going on in Poland, and the Poles not hesitating to bring up the Nazi invasion of Poland in response. Yes, I mean, Poland, of course, is not the first EU country to publish pictures of Angela Merkel in Nazi uniforms. We've seen that in Greece, for example. But I think what was important was 
Poland was in some ways the leader of the most advanced group, the Visegrad group of four Eastern European countries that had joined the EU, which were proving to be important allies of Germany in bringing together common EU positions on important issues, things like sanctions against Russia, for example. And the fact that Poland is now drifting away from Germany and Brussels is important at an EU level. Of course, One of the particular achievements of the previous Polish government was to bring relations with Germany up to perhaps their best level for decades, if not centuries. And so to see uh, the fairly swift reversal of that is very concerning for everyone in Europe, I think. But Henry, of course, there have also been big protests in Poland from the opposition. How much is there a kind of political or social ferment in Poland in response to what's going on? I think that there has been a sort of, certainly a division in society. You're sort of either with the government or against them. It's really the speed, the mood music that the government are creating. They seem to be quite dismissive of opposition voices. And while they are allowing the protests to take place, there hasn't really been any kind of dialogue or conversation. Much of these new measures were rushed through Parliament very quickly. There was a few midnight votes. And I think a lot of people are fearing, if you like, a similar transition as Neil was talking about to this illiberal democracy that Orban himself coined to define his method of government. I mean, there are thousands taking to the street, but it is important to note that the government is also getting tens of thousands to come out normally the day after the anti-government protest to show their support. We have to remember here that under the eight years of civic platform government that preceded this current administration, a lot of polls, mainly working class polls, polls in the east of the country, which is less developed, really felt like they weren't getting their fair share of this great reform, the European Union benefits, if you like. And now they're saying, well, this is now our time in charge. And we think the country needs to be run slightly differently. And Peace, uh, the, the Law and Justice Party say, in effect, that, well, what they're doing is no different from what Civic Platform did. And the only difference is in the reaction of, from Europe, because Civic Platform are better connected in Brussels and Berlin and so on. Do you buy that argument? It's a very complex one. On certain levels, it is true. In 2007, when the civic platform government, of course, then at the time led by Donald Tusk, who is now the president of the European Council, they did move to install their friends, their allies, people in the media that they liked and were open to their point of view into these positions at the public television and public radio stations. I mean, that is undeniable. And with the court, of course, given that Mr. Tusk was in charge for so long, the court is stacked with people who were appointed by civic platform. And so Peace is saying we need to now balance that out. On the media front, however, there was never a move by any previous government to enshrine in law that these television and radio stations should be accountable to parliament. So that's the real change. While previous governments have, like many governments in Europe and in the world, like to see their friends in charge of the media, the Law and Justice Administration is the first in Poland to enshrine it in law that the executives, the CEOs of these channels, the editors can be sacked if essentially parliament doesn't like what they're saying. Now, Neil, obviously the Europeans have now initiated this procedure, but how far can they go? How much comeback does Brussels have? Or in the end, as with Hungary, are they going to seem to be pretty powerless? I think the problem is, as we've seen with Hungary, the EU has a rather limited toolbox for dealing with these kind of problems, partly because the assumption was once you became an EU member, you essentially made it through to democracy, as it were, and it was unlikely to be a, a reversal. Also, the EU, although it represents values of democracy, it grew out of something that primarily was an economic and trade block. It's never been primarily a human rights and democracy organisation. 
The Commission did get new powers in 2014, which is what it's using for the first time to investigate what's happening in Poland. But it has very limited sanctions. There's only really what's called the nuclear option of suspending Poland's voting rights in the EU Council. But that is something that is seen as very unlikely to be used because it will be such a serious step. Also, Hungary has said it would not support this. Um, a block of- so in, in essence, there is a yes, there is a, a blocking minority now, or a veto against the use of those powers. But I think we should not lose sight of the fact there are important differences between Poland and Hungary domestically. In Hungary, when Fidesz came to power, it really entered, in essence, a vacuum where the previous government, the Socialist Party government, had completely collapsed, their support had collapsed. And the only real opposition to Fidesz in Hungary to this day is the far-right Jobbik Party. In Poland, you have much more of a functioning, moderate opposition. Also, the new Polish leadership is extremely anti-Russian, much more than Budapest is. And when push comes to shove are perhaps more likely to not want to seriously damage their relations with the EU. Well, Henry, that's a big question, isn't it? Because, of course, now the government in Warsaw is going to come under a lot of pressure. Its rhetoric is pretty defiant. So what is their mood? I mean, I think from what I'm getting this afternoon, there's a lot of shock in the government. They really didn't think that the European Union would go as far as to even start investigating this. So I think they're reeling a little bit from that. And I think this could be something of a wake-up call that Europe won't just sit by and allow these moves to take place. Just a caveat here, Gideon. I mean, there is a definite sense in Warsaw amongst politically connected people and journalists that law and justice have sort of pushed through the measures they wanted to do quickly and first. And we may see a cooling-off period later on in this year. Now they have control of the media. Now they have control of this court. There's less likely to be pressure on them to make other radical decisions. We're likely to see more stimulus, more fiscal spending to support social programs and some new taxes that have been mooted against some business areas. But the general feeling is that Lauren Justice have got the hard stuff out of the way, so to speak, and now may calm down a little bit for fear, perhaps, as Neil says, of inflaming these tensions any longer. Let me put you on the spot, perhaps unfairly, Henry, but we've been sort of dancing around this question. Do you think there's a threat to democracy in Poland? Look, if I worked for the state-run media company and a new bill that's in Parliament this week that would sack me after three months if the government didn't like me, yeah, I think that I would think that. I think the comparisons with Orbán's Hungary are fair. I agree with Neil. I think there are large differences. And also, I think we need to remember that Poland is well integrated into the EU. The structures are there. The processes are there. It's different from Hungary in 2010, I think. And I honestly don't think that democracy, if you like, in a sort of in a Putin-esque sense, in a Belarus sense, or even in a Ukraine sense, is under threat in as much as the EU would like to say. There are some noises coming out of Berlin already that they think some of the statements by, by some of the politicians, Mr. Martin Schulz, the president of the European Parliament compared it to a coup in Poland and also said that he thought it bears the hallmarks of Putin's Russia. There are noises coming out of Berlin saying that we think that's gone too far. I do think both sides will like to entrench and cool things off. It works best for everyone. And I think that at some point we'll see Poland sort of come back to the table where, let's face it, for the last eight years, they've been rising up, becoming more important and becoming much more of an EU staple. Okay, and and Neil, just to conclude, I mean, in a way, that's a rather reassuring assessment by Henry, but the EU can really ill afford this kind of stuff at the moment, given particularly the migration crisis and the huge pressure that uh, Angela Merkel is under domestically and in her relations with all her neighbours, whether it's over the euro crisis to the south or the refugee crisis to the east with Poland in particular. 
Absolutely. It's another distraction and another headache for Berlin and Chancellor Merkel to have to deal with. And also, she does need, and Germany needs, the support of Central and Eastern European countries, for example, in handling the migrant crisis. Many of the migrants are coming through southeastern Europe, through the Balkans. There's this whole issue of resettling migrants through a quota system around Europe, which, of course, Eastern European countries have been opposed to. There's the issues of sanctions against Russia. So holding the EU together is very important at the moment in the face of these challenges and crises. And therefore, having this kind of tension and opposition growing from certain key countries is something the EU can ill afford right now. Okay, well, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much to Neil Buckley here in London. Thanks also to Henry Foy in Warsaw. That's it for this week. Until Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com. Next week, goodbye.